I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is The Athletic Hockey Show. It is your Thursday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. It's Ian Mendes, Sean McIndoe with you. And uh, we're going to talk all things hockey here and the Stanley Cup playoffs and round one. And, uh, okay, I'm going to give you an opportunity here, Sean. We can we can move this topic to later in the show or you can rip the Band-Aid off and we can just get into it and then move on. But obviously, I think a lot of people, look, they read your column from uh, from the other night which was written with passion, but also possibly written before the game even started. You're like, I feel like this could happen. Anyway. No. Um, it wasn't, Leafs... but it was it was written halfway <laughs> through the game, put it that way. That gives you a sense of how the game went for the Leafs. At, at 3-2, though, there was some thought like, hey, maybe they're coming back, and then, yeah. then it didn't happen. Uh, it is a complete – there's no other way to put this. That was an unmitigated disaster in game one. You almost couldn't have drawn up a worse game one. So – Where's your mind at? We're recording this Thursday morning about, you know, whatever it is, 10 hours, 12 hours before um, uh, game two. Uh, like, like, walk me through. Like, are you just like, this is stupid. I, like, why are we doing this again? Or like, like, has all of the, has all of the 
optimism been beaten out of you again? I mean, I going into this series, I was less optimistic than uh, probably a lot of Leaf fans, although there's a range there, and, and less optimistic than a lot of the the experts, a lot of the media. I mean, the, this was pretty overwhelmingly picked as a series that the Leafs were going to win, and then, you know, I wasn't so sure. And in fact, when I put my picks out there, I had Tampa winning in a in a shorter series, and got a lot of pushback on that, as you might imagine, uh, from from Leaf fans. Um, that said, it's one game. Uh, you know, we we don't have to look very hard to find many examples of uh, series where game one was lopsided and it didn't end up meaning anything to the final result, including last year with the Lightning and the Leafs, right? The Leafs go out, played their best playoff game uh, of, of the cap era, absolutely smoked the Lightning 5 nothing, and ended up losing the series. So, um, right. you know, it is, it is one game. And, and like I said in the piece that I wrote, Sometimes a game like this can be the turning point. Sometimes a game like this is is the one that you look back on, you say, okay, finally the light bulb went off. You know, for whatever reason, it, it, that game was so awful that maybe the players in that room look around and go, guys, we thought we were ready. We're not. We clearly weren't. There's a different level we've got to get to. And now we finally got it. Um, now. That's pretty optimistic thinking. I, I, I mean, the reality is is twofold going into tonight. Number one is the Leafs just need to win, period. You, you, you can't, against a team as good as Tampa, go back into their building down to nothing. Your, your odds of winning the series um, are uh, uh, extraordinarily low if that's what happens. Um, so you, you've got to find a way to whether, you know, depend, it doesn't matter whether you outplay them, you outshoot them, whether it's, you know, you get a few bounces, the power plays, whatever it is, you've got to find a way to win. That's the main thing. But beyond that, how they come out tonight, especially the start of the game, is is going to really tell us something um, about this team. Because, man, the, the, the way they started game one was inexcusable, inexplicable, uh, it, it, it was, it was stunning. And I say this as, as a Leaf fan who, you know, I've been accused of being the pessimist <laughs> and yet I was sitting there going, man, it's been 12 months since this team played hockey that mattered, right? We all, we all said all year, regular season doesn't matter. They got to get back to the playoffs from the moment they skated off the ice last year after game seven, after the Tampa Bay lightning beat you on your home ice knock you out of the playoffs in yet another do-or-die game. The only thought on your mind should have been next year's playoffs. Game one. Get me back yep. to game one. If I had a time machine, I want to go ahead in time and get to game one. And you find out basically in November that you're going to be playing the Lightning again. We all knew that. You know it's going to be ever since February or March. You've known it was going to be on home ice. Like You've had all the time in the world to set up for this, and yet... They look completely lost to start the game. And, and I don't know if that's coaching, if it's leadership, if it's some combination of a bunch of different things. But there's, I mean, that was stunning to me to see that. It, it's its one thing to lose the game. Lightning are a great team. There are nights you're going to play great and you're still going to lose to the Tampa Bay Lightning because that's just how good they are. 
But to go out there, to be down 3 nothing after one period, to look lost, to have nothing going, you're taking bad penalties, and it, it really, it's a pattern with this team. They don't start on time an awful lot, and, and a lot of times they get away with it because we get what we saw in the second period, which is suddenly the offense clicks, and they get a couple of goals, and they're right back in it. And they can erase their mistakes because they've got the skill to do it. Um, didn't add up. Uh, for uh, for game one, because Tampa got the that big fourth goal, and then obviously the stupid penalty with with Michael Bunting, and that that pretty much puts an end to the game. Um, you know, there, there's they need to win tonight. There are no moral victories or anything like that at this stage in the playoffs. But if they go out and play a a great game tonight, and Andre Vasilevsky stands on his head, that's that's one thing. If they have another start, especially like in game one, then there's no other conclusion than that something is fundamentally broken about this team in a, in a really serious and significant way. So I, I think, and I think you explained it so well, and it does feel like this could be the night where Vasilevsky, look, Andre Vasilevsky is going to steal one game in this series. At some point he's going to steal a game. He didn't have to steal game one, but he's going to steal a game. And you could absolutely see the scenario in which Toronto outshoots Tampa 45-25, Vasilevsky stops 44 of them, Tampa gets an empty net or they win 3-1. You can see it. I can mm-hmm. see it. You can see it. But but here's the one thing I'd like to say to Leafs fans on this. And I, and I understand, like, look, you've been through it. I, I always think about the column you wrote in the spring of 2020. That was the bubble year when the Habs beat them? When did they the Habs all beat bleed them? together, don't they? Yeah. 2021 no, 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 was the that, Habs. Yeah. So, sorry, 2021. And that was the one I, I remember reading that, and I'm like, man, th- this this guy just nailed it with the column of, that's it, this is it. This felt like a definitive breaking point, and and yet we know what it's like being a fan. You can't quite quit them. You can't. I know it. You know it. Yeah. But here's the thing, okay? But here's the thing. If Toronto had won Game One, seven to two, seven to three, none of you would be feeling comfortable anyway. Sure. Like th- there was, there's no scenario where a Toronto Maple Leafs fan will feel comfortable until the final buzzer sounds in a clinching game and they're congratulating their goalie. That's Abs- it. Absolutely. The, and even this then, is what has happened. Even then, we'll be waiting it, on like, is there going to be yeah. a review? Are we going to hear the buzz? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and and look, that's, that is, that has been earned. This, this team has, yeah. there is no more benefit of the doubt. There is no, and in fact, you know, you're right. When, when I wrote that piece after the Montreal series, I, I kind of said, like, this this feels like the end of something with this team. And it wasn't. The the next day or whatever it was, Kyle Dubas, Brennan Shanahan get up. They give the same press conference. You know, we're going to stay the course. We're, we're going to run it back. No changes. Nobody even has to think about getting traded or anything like that. We're going to we're going to keep everything. All the key players, all the core, everything. No changes. Um. And and they came back and and look, they had a fantastic regular season last year. And the playoffs last year were different in the sense that they were playing a much better team than they had against Montreal. They played better. The the stars did show up and you know, a goal here or there, a bounce here or there. Um, it would have gone differently. And and you saw it. There were a lot of people after that series. They wrote the column, right? Like this time felt different. And maybe they do run it back yet again. And sure enough, Dubas and Shanahan get up there and they give the whole, yep, no changes, don't worry about anything speech again. Um, and here we are again. And and it's, you know, as as I wrote, uh, it, that game one, if it did anything, 
it, I, to me, it has to finally take those excuses and moral victories and all that stuff off the table. And, you know, Sheldon Keefe with the, well, we got more respect in the handshake line. Nobody cares about the handshake line this year. Win or don't. And maybe there was a scenario before game one where the Leafs go out and they just play fantastic. They dominate the series and Andre Vasilevsky steals it or the, those crooked refs steal it or, you know, the bounces or there's injuries or whatever it is. It's hockey. We know this stuff happens. But maybe there was a scenario where that happens. The Leafs play fantastic. They don't get the result they deserve. And you go, okay, well, you know, maybe we stick with it. That that has to be gone now. Because you you mailed in game one. You handed game one on a silver platter to the yeah. to the lightning. So it doesn't matter the rest of the way. Like you've that that is now off the table. You win or you don't win. And as I said in the column, you you deserve whatever comes next, and and I think we know that it's it's not going to be pretty. No, and 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 so here we go. Well, well, I can't wait to do this next week at this time because boy, oh boy, the, the series. Who knows where it could be a, a week from now? Uh, and, and and I gotta say though, like it does feel like with this, and and this is where I'm 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 putting on my my very leaf centric hat. Right. And this this isn't necessarily the the optimist or the pessimist or anything, but this is the you know, this is my typical Leaf fan. The whole hockey world revolves around this team. But it does really feel like the story that's being written here. It almost feels like anything can happen. I mean, we, yeah. we could be talking next week. This series could be over. Tampa could have swept for- this series for nothing. And it's done, I think. Would game four? Yeah. Game four would be uh, would have already been Monday. in the books. Yeah. Monday's game four. And we could be talking about a sweep and we could be talking about, you know, by, by that point, Dubas and Keefe and everyone are probably already fired. Yeah, a- absolutely. And I don't, I, that wouldn't shock anyone. We could be talking about the Leafs being up 3-1 because they, you know, they, they flipped it back and we're all having a laugh. Hey, remember we all panicked after game one. Wasn't that silly? Um, I, I will tell you right now, there is a part of me. It's a very small part of me, but there is a part of me that goes, you know what? I could see Tampa winning tonight. I could see Tampa winning Game three, and it's three nothing, and we're all writing. Our everyone's getting fired, and then the Leafs claw their way back from down three nothing. You could see that happening too. Now sucks. Check with me. Check with me after it's three nothing, and and let and check if I still feel that way. But there is a part of me that goes, hey, you know what? I mean, you 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 said it. The red the two thousand four Red Sox, right? If people aren't baseball fans, the Red Sox were the Maple Leafs. They had the long drought. They're playing a great Yankees team. They're down three nothing in the series. Do you remember game three of that series? Oh, it was like nineteen to seven. They gave something? up nineteen runs. Yeah, 19, everybody, yeah. everybody, not not every baseball fan. Everyone in the sports world is making their same old Red Sox jokes, and then they have a bottom of the ninth comeback. They win again, you know, and off it goes. And then they they've won four World Series since then in in the fifteen years or whatever it's been. You never know what the tipping point's going to be. I will say this now feels like after game one, this this series is going to be a tipping point one way or another. It's going to tip to the good, finally, or it's going to tip real, real bad. And, uh, you know, we I, I feel like we've said that every year since at least the Columbus series, but it, there's always a way to, you know, find that middle ground and go, well, you know, maybe it was a little... I, I feel like that has to be off the table for sure now. Yeah, and look... And, and and I I I do think that that brings us a, a real quick segue I want to do here on Ottawa uh, because I wrote a piece this week on you want to talk about being kind of stuck in a perpetual rut 
Uh, I wrote a piece this week on kind of looking at Pierre Dorian's six-year rebuild here. And, and I think for the most part, the column landed, but boy, oh boy, did I take some heat from uh, a handful of Ottawa fans who said, you know, A, I didn't like the timing of that, or B, Ian, you were unnecessarily harsh and cruel. And I, I just want to take a moment here to address that because I, look, I, I can't, I think as a journalist, if I'm going to lob criticism at others, then I have to be able to take some, some criticism too. So this isn't me being thin skin, but like, what are we doing here? Like, like folks, the Ottawa Senators have missed the playoffs in six consecutive years. This is now one of the longest playoff droughts of the salary cap era. The general manager did a season-ending press conference in which there are a lot of questions about whether or not he stays beyond this season. I think a column looking at his, uh, you know, kind of his actions and words at at, at previous uh, season-ending availabilities is on point and is timely. Like, I, I don't understand the people that said... I just don't agree with your timing. Like I'm so stunned when, to hear I, that. When, when do they want us to write about the Ottawa Senators? I mean, this is my point. When when is the right time to write a column about a guy? Like I don't know. Like I I I don't know what it is. And I, I don't know. You read the column. You tell me if you thought. I it thought was it was unfair. fantastic. And and I suggest people go and read it because it was. Uh, I I read uh, you know without. Without giving it away, I, I read the first eight to ten paragraphs of that, and I was sort of nodding along, and then. When when you hit us with the twist, I I mean my jaw dropped, and it's uh, you're right. I mean this this team has been declaring the rebuild over for years now. They have been talking about the playoffs for years now, and then every year at the end of the season they move the goalposts and they say, well, yeah, but we won eight of our last twelve, or yeah, well, but uh, you know we. Got, I think there's a lot of good. Obviously, there's there's a lot of reason for optimism in Ottawa, not just the ownership, the way the young players are developing. Everybody can see that, but. To point out that, as I say, that the goalposts keep moving on on what success looks like for this franchise is is completely fair, especially when you don't even have to use your own words to do it. You just have to point to what they've yeah. told us over and over and over again. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, so look, if, if people didn't like it, fine, but that's my explanation. My explanation is like we can't sit here and be satisfied with it covering a team that has missed the playoffs six years in a row. Are they making strides? Yeah, absolutely. I'm not, I'm, no one's denying that. And at no point in the column did I suggest Pierre Dorian should be out. My only point was, if he's going to be back, he damn well better say this is a playoff team next year. Like, th- th- there's no more, gee, I hope we take another step. What's the next step? You just, mm-hmm. you missed the playoffs by a hair. There is no more steps. The step is make the playoffs. And isn't this crazy? Next year's Brady Kachuk's sixth year in the NHL. Like, stop saying that, mm-hmm. you know, he's got an endless amount of time. Claude Giroux is going to be, like, this is your window. Yep. Thomas Shabbat is now becoming, like, an older defenseman. and He's reaching that line. What, what's that? Uh, <laughs> there's always, like, the, I, I know we talk about it for regular people, the, uh, yeah. the uh, cocoon, uh, what's his name? Well, uh, was, Wilford Brindley. Yeah, we had the, the Wendell the, the line, Wendell which is what, yeah, I think he's past that. He's he's probably well past that. So Tom, Wait, you're telling me Thomas Shabbat is older than Wendell Clark in the Marty McSorley fight? He, he may have been, yeah. Let me, uh, uh, I'd have so to. So Thomas Shabbat is, uh, uh, Thomas is Shabbat turned 27 uh, this year? 
Uh, in January, he's twenty six. He just turned twenty six. Oh, all right, I think he's. he's I think he's all right then. I think because I. I okay, feel like he younger. was twenty. I feel like Wendell was twenty six, um, but uh, twenty six and 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 something when he had the bald spot and the beard and he was the grizzled, <laughs> hey, look, grizzled old man. He's a grizzled guy. All right, uh, let's bounce around some other series uh, because I I think listen, the most interesting, I guess delicious. Storyline is what played out in Minnesota, where Dean Evison, after a sparkling, scintillating 51 save performance in overtime from, from Phil Gustafson in game one, decides to come back with Marc Andre Fleury in game two. Now, if you read Mike Russo and you read Joe Smith, you get the sense that, okay, this was their plan. It didn't matter. Well, clearly, it didn't matter what Gustafson did in game one. The plan was to rotate the starts. But what happens? Fleury struggles. Wild get pumped in game two. Now there's all sorts of questions. So, Let's start here. Like, how stunning was it to you that Minnesota decided to go away from a red-hot goalie in the Stanley Cup playoffs? Like, for no, I, this wasn't injury-related. This was yep. a preconceived decision, right? I, I was, I was very surprised, and yes, we shouldn't have been surprised because they've told us all along that this is what they're going to do. Um, but still. And look, if it were, it's like anything, right? If it if it had worked, we'd be going, hey, what a smart move by Dean Evison. Now he's got both guys. They're fresh. Dallas doesn't know what's going to hit him. Um, but this this is really, I, I don't think unprecedented necessarily, but it's extraordinarily unusual in the playoffs. I mean, we, we absolutely do see teams that have multiple goalies. You know, they, they have the one and one A situation um, and they go into the playoffs Maybe not sure who's going to be the guy for game one. Maybe going in intending saying that, look, if we go on a long run, both guys are going to get going to get to play. That's that's one thing. I can't remember off the top of my head seeing cases where they they start one guy, haven't played great, get a win, and then go to the other guy. It's it's almost always win and you're in. Um but but not this time. And obviously the fact that Mark Andre Fleur goes out and gives up seven goals, that is you know, that that now becomes the talking point. But, you know, even if Marc-Andre Fleury had gone out and had a shutout, it still would have been a bit head-scratching. And and I guess the defense of it is you say, all right, if I'm Dean Evison, I'm looking at this saying, I don't think either guy, you know, Gustafson given his experience, Fleury given his age, I need both guys playing. I need both guys going back and forth. And we're planning to have a long run here. We're not planning yeah. to lose where we expect to go deep into the playoffs. And so for me to just stick with one guy the whole way, you know, until we run into trouble and then drop another guy in and expect him to bail us out. I don't want to do that. I want them both in early and yeah, I mean, it, 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 it probably makes sense on that level, but um, again, heads to work. And uh, you know, now you, you assume you, you go back to Gibson in, in game three and, what do you do in game four? I mean, I, I I can't imagine that we we see this going back and forth again, but um it's it's rare. You and I were talking like, you know, before we came on here, could we think of other examples of this? Not sure that we can, know. right? Yeah, like if we ask the question to the listeners, like what's the most controversial like clearly now for the Minnesota Wild and their fan base, I would imagine starting Marc-Andre Fleury over Phil Gustafson in game two has now become the number one 
kind of head scratching goalie decision in franchise history. Like, and and maybe I mean maybe during that Manny Fernandez, Dwayne Rollison era, was there some uh, maybe. Maybe who knows? Yeah, okay? like we we've but, seen lots of cases where a team has two guys and they you're surprised by who they go with in game one, right? We've yep. seen that, or they're coming off a loss and they're sort of you know, and, and then the coach makes a decision and it doesn't work, and we all go, "Ha, you picked the wrong guy," you know. Th- that is not unusual, but to have a guy play great and win and then not get the net is uh, that's a strange one. Yeah, so I threw this out on Twitter earlier and I asked, "Hey, what what's the most controversial?" goalie decision in your franchise's history. So we got we got a couple of them here. I, again, I don't know that it kind of exactly matches up with what Minnesota did, but uh, Eric, who's a big Pittsburgh fan, says uh, Penguins' decision to go with Matt Murray over Tristan Jari repeatedly in the playoff bubble in 2020. Uh, remember that? Okay. And then finally, I think for game five, they went to Jari, right? Finally, in, 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 the, in the game that yes. they had to have, the, the, yeah. uh, which they lost. Um, so that was one. Now, I have no recollection of this, and maybe you do. Uh, back in the 94 playoffs, this is from Jason, who's uh, tweeted at me. Uh, 94 Devils-Bruins first round, uh, Marty Brodeur lost games one and two. They decide to start Chris Terreri. He wins games three and four. Then Jacques Lemaire, after Terreri wins two in a row, goes to Brodeur for game five in a win but then goes back to Terraria in game six. Uh, and anyway, and they won that game. So there's, I guess there's an example of, f- they went from Terraria who won two to Brodeur. Man, I guess how, that happened. I, I have no recollection of that. How weird does that sound, eh? To be talking about like Martin, there being any question around Martin Brodeur. But yeah, that was his his sort of uh, almost coming out party as a, as a season. But uh yeah, I'm looking back at that one because that that does seem pretty pretty stunning that you would uh, go back and forth like that. Wow. And and was there not like way back in the day did and and I think it might have been the Stanley Cup final. This is like late 70s. Did Scotty Bowman not start Bunny LaRock for like game 1 of a Stanley Cup over Ken Dryden? Is that did that happen? Like uh, the last who they they, pick, they beat the Rangers, I think the last year that they the last one, won, yeah, that was after yeah? they beat the after they beat did, the Bruins. Were they about to start Bunny Larock, and then like did Bunny Larock get hurt in warm up? Oh or wow! Some, is, does that make does that ring a bell? I, again, that's before our time. But yeah. I feel like Bunny Larock was like slated to start Game One of the Cup, and it was like some message to Ken Dryden. And then LaRock got hurt. Is that did that I, happen? It, or was that it, a fever dream? It, it of mine? could be. That that isn't ringing bells for me. I'm looking at the stats. Dryden did uh, did start all the games. LaRock only had the one appearance, but I don't know. Maybe maybe yeah. they did. Uh, okay. Maybe they did swap him in there. The the other one that we were talking about a bit was the the Capitals, the year that they won the Cup, where they 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 didn't start Braden Holpe for the first two games against Columbus. They went with Philip Grubauer, lost both of those games in overtime, and then went to Holpe. And of course, he he takes them the rest of the way. But again, there there are cases like that where you go, oh yeah, that was the wrong call to start a series. You know, game one, now you went with the wrong guy, or you're coming off a loss, and it's okay. Do we go back to the guy who just lost? Do we go to the other guy? You know, maybe even you you pull the starter, the backup comes in, he looks great. Well, do we maybe go to the backup? 
Um, but uh, to to do it after a win, I, the, the strangest one you talk about near misses, and, and I don't know if this qualifies completely, but this this is always my favorite example of how fickle fans can be, and and the whole thing about why sometimes you don't listen to the fans. Uh, Montreal Canadiens, uh, when they ninety three. You probably remember this. They lose the first two games to Quebec. Yeah, I think they're they're down two nothing in round one, and there were people out there going, "Red light, Rasico. gotta switch it up, man." Andre Rasico in for Patrick Watt. That's the guy. You know that'll wake him up. You know Patrick's Patrick was great in '86, but he doesn't have it this year. And uh, yeah, we gotta go to red light. Didn't happen. Fair to say, Jacques Demers, uh yeah. did not did not listen to the fans, and good for him because he would have been sitting with them probably if uh, if he had. And, and of course, Patrick Waugh has one of the greatest playoffs of all time, and almost single handedly wins his team the cup. Okay, I found I looked it up. So yep. here's what happened in the Stanley Cup Final, 1979. So remember, the Habs had won three straight cups going into this uh, fourth year of trying to win a fourth straight cup, and Dryden had won all of them, but they lose Game One of the series against the Rangers four to one. They Dryden got pulled in that game. Bunny LaRock replaced him. Okay. And then Bunny LaRock was tabbed as the starter for game two. Then in pregame warmup, Doug Risebrow accidentally hit Bunny LaRock uh, with a puck, knocking LaRock out, forcing Dryden back in. The Canadians would win the next uh, four games. And that was that. They won the that Stanley might Cup. Be- don't ever say Doug Riseborough doesn't know how to win a Stanley Cup. That yeah. that might be his his greatest move. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Well, well, yeah, and, well, and that t- takes us back. He was the was he not the Wild general manager during those uh, Rollison, Manny Fernandez? Uh, I think he was. Yeah, days? He was for I think for, so. Right uh, for the longest time, then got replaced by Chuck Fletcher. He doesn't do very well with the Fletcher uh, family. So. <laughs> Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, uh, Sean, as always, time for our pal Jesse Granger to drop by for a little Granger things. Brought to you by BetMGM, the exclusive betting partner. Uh, with us at The Athletic, Jesse, uh, getting set to cover game two of the uh, the Vegas Golden Knights, Winnipeg Jets. And uh, boy, I mean, they didn't have to make Connor Hellebuck work hard. He, he faced fewer than 20 shots uh, in game one. But Sean and I are just talking goaltending. We've been talking about goaltending all year with you with Vegas. Laurent Brassois gives up uh, whatever it is, four goals there in, in the opener. 
Paint us a picture of what what's going to happen here in the crease for for Vegas as they face kind of what feels like a must win game in game two. Yeah, I mean, it definitely feels like a must win game, not just because they lost the first one, but how they lost it. You mentioned you don't get to Connor Hellebuck. Like if you would have told me the Jets are going to come in here and steal game one, I wouldn't have been that surprised. I would have said Hellebuck was probably awesome and, and goalied them. Um, the fact that he faced only 17 shots and only two in the third period. Uh, yeah. Golden Knights are down 3-1, chasing goals, and could not get even anything resembling offense against that team. What that tells you is they don't just have to be better in order to win these next games. They've got to be a lot better um, because you're going to have to be good enough to overcome that goalie deficit. Obviously, Connor Hellebuck's world class. Um, It's going to be interesting to see what they do in net. Um, I expect Laurent Brassois to play again in game two. He's been their best goalie this year. Um, it's not a huge sample size. He only played 10 games in the regular season because he had off-season surgery and then he had another injury. So he didn't get in the net a lot, but I don't think anybody that's watched this team all year would argue that Loren Brassois is not their best goal. hasn't been their best goalie this season. Um, if he were to, and, and to be honest, I don't think he was all that bad in game one. I think that uh, the one, um, I think it was Wheeler who, who backhanded it and it kind of just slid underneath him. That one, he'd probably want back. Um, but for the most part, the Golden Knights just got beat as a team. If they were to go away from him, which I, I don't think Bruce Cassidy is totally against, but I also don't think he's like looking for a way out either. I think his leash is, is decently long. But if he were to go away from him, I don't think it's Jonathan Quick that they go to. Um, Quick was the backup in game one. Um, he he may be the backup in game two. We're going to find out here at Morning Skate in a second. But Aiden Hill has been getting closer and closer to playing. He's been a full participant in practice for a good two weeks now. Um, I'm not sure why they haven't made him the backup. Maybe it's just because Quick is the veteran. He's got the playoff experience. Maybe he's better to have on the bench to talk to Brassois and during intermissions and stuff. So that would make sense. But I think if they were to go away from Brassois... Aiden Hill was playing some really, really good hockey um, before he got hurt. And his peak is certainly very high. Like, I don't think he's quite as calm and, and collected as, as Brassois is in the crease, but his peak is very high. And to be honest, just quick just hasn't been very good. Um, he's, he's a great presence on the bench. He's a good guy in the locker room. He has more Stanley Cup playoff experience than all these five goalies combined, but he wasn't good in L.A. That was why they traded him. And he hasn't been all that good in Vegas. He's been statistically their worst of the five goalies that played this year. So um, I don't expect Quick to get in if they if they do make a goalie change at any point in this series. You, you said, Jesse, that you don't think the leash is, is that short. Um, and yet the fact that we're talking about it suggests that there's, you know, there, there's there's at least uh, something there to it. And we see that in other places, too. A Toronto game tonight is is an obvious example. Um you're the goalie. Help, help us get in that mindset. Like, it, are you? If if you're if you're a goaltender, especially, you know, put yourself in the mindset of a, of an NHL guy, and you know that that leash is a bit short. Is does that affect you at all? I mean, is it is it something that a goalie can just with their weird little brains could just shut out? Or are you sitting there going, does it change your game to know, man, if I get beat in the first five minutes, I got to be looking over at the bench and seeing if uh, you know I've got probably two goals tonight before. You know, the camera is going to be on my backup. Um, does that affect how you play? I think it does. And obviously it depends on, I think, I think this is a player by player basis. Like I would say that it probably affects some guys more than others. Um, I have always said, I don't like having 
goalie decisions in the playoffs. Like Vegas, the last few playoffs, they missed it last year, but the two before that, it was literally a night-to-night basis. Is Robin Leonard going to play? Is Marc-Andre Fleury going to play? I do not like that at all. I don't like it. And they're not alone. There's teams all around the league doing it. I prefer, even if you've had a rotation, because I think the rotation is the new NHL. They, you don't want to use one goalie 60-something games. They want to play them evenly to keep them fresh. Even if you do that, I think heading into the playoffs, it's better for the mentality of your starting goalie to tell him he's the guy. And give him a reasonably long leash. Because like you said, if you're going into a game thinking, man, I, if I give up two early ones, I may lose this job. You, goalie is such a mental game. And this is the case for every position in hockey. Confidence is everything, right? Like when you're confident as a shooter, the puck's going in. You're, you're not thinking. You're not overthinking things. You're not squeezing your stick. Goalie, it's the same thing. When you're trying, when you're playing to make saves, you play so much better than when you're playing not to give up a goal. Um, you always hear like people saying like, oh, don't say sh- shut out. Don't say shut out. Like I'm not superstitious, but at the same time, I've had plenty of beer league games that mean nothing coming down the stretch where the second I start thinking, oh, wow, there's only five minutes left. All right. I can't give up a goal. For Just don't give up a goal. Don't give up a goal. The very next shot it's going in. It happens every single time. Um, <laughs> I'm very experienced in, in, in that uh, <laughs> world. But yeah, it's I, I do think having a guy looking over your shoulder can be bad. I think it depend, it's, it's probably worse for some than others. But I, I definitely am a fan of giving the net to a guy and giving him all the confidence that this is your net no matter what happens. Go out there, be aggressive, play aggressively. Don't worry about the other guy because because you're you're our, our goalie for this series. Well, I'll tell you what, guy. Why don't we bounce around a couple of other series here? Uh, speaking of goalies that are playing with some confidence, let's, let's give a little shout out here to Alex Lyon, the unheralded Florida goalie. They go to TD Garden on Wednesday night uh, and a pretty definitive uh, victory over the Bruins. Uh, scoring five goals for the two of you. Uh, your fe- has your feelings changed on any series, and and maybe it's that one. Maybe it's Seattle pulling off a surprising win over Colorado. Whatever it is, Tampa, Toronto. Like, is there any series that after you know a couple of games you're like, wow, I my impression has changed a little bit. And for me, it might maybe it's maybe it's Florida, Boston. But I've I've said this for weeks, guys, and I, I, Boston's not getting to the cup. Like like I, like I've said to you so many times. History shows you that teams that are that statistically dominant just don't, and it's the stupidest thing. But I'm thinking, here we go again. That's how I'm feeling. What, what are you guys thinking right now after a couple of games? I, I, I don't have the same level of doubt for Boston that you do. I, I mean, the fact that they're probably not winning the cup or maybe even getting to the final, that it that's just kind of how the math works. But impressive game by Florida. Don't know that it's it's changed my view that much. Remember, this is, you know, Boston, they still got, this illness going through, they didn't have Patrice Bergeron. Uh, I I think they they're still um, yeah, they're still in good shape. The the Vegas series, yeah, I I did not expect Winnipeg to you know a lot like Jesse said like you know you tell me Winnipeg wins a game, Connor Hellebuck steals it, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm, I can see that. But the the fact that they I wouldn't say dominated, but the fact that they were the better team uh, surprised me. And then the other one, obviously, is is Colorado Seattle. I mean, I'm look. I, uh, I I make a point every year when I'm doing my playoff bracket and I'm doing my predictions. Got to have a got to have a sweep or two in there. None of this picking every series in six games. You gotta you gotta have some short series in there. And uh, the beauty of that is uh, I can uh, I can be one of the few people 
one night into the playoffs to say my bracket's already busted because I had I had Colorado in four. Done. I've I'm already I've already got one wrong prediction uh, locked in. Um, I, I, I again I I don't feel like I was surprised by what Seattle was. I, I just didn't think that at their best they could measure up with Colorado. And hey, and why why stop now? I've been wrong about the Kraken all year. Why uh, why change it up now? It's interesting because of all so the fourth you get four games planned tonight. Obviously the home team. Um, is down 0-1 in all four. The only home team that remained the favorite in terms of the betting odds are the Avs. Um, there's, I mean, it's not a heavy favorite. I mean, the Avs are minus 140, Seattle's plus 115 to win that series. So it's gotten pretty close, but they are still the favorite. Whereas the Golden Knights, Rangers, and Maple Leafs all are now underdogs to win their series going down 0-1. I think so... I picked the Rangers in terms of which series has maybe changed my mind. I picked the Rangers to win the series before, but I was kind of like, this is a coin toss. I'll go with the goalie. That was the pick. Like, I'll just yep. take Shesterkin. After watching game one, I think the Rangers are the better team. Um, and and I, I do think part of it is the Devils. Like, the Devils are kind of where the Rangers were last year, where they've got a y- bunch of young guys that haven't played in the playoffs where the Rangers... Yep. They had they their young guys gained the experience last season. Plus, they added some guys who have been to Stanley Cups in in Tarasenko and Kane and and I think the Rangers are just in a they're both super talented teams. The Rangers are just in a better spot in their development as a team. I think they might roll the Devils like in a, like I, maybe five or six games. Whereas before, I did pick the Rangers, but it was mostly just a yeah, I'll just take them. I think these teams are both good. I like the goalie. Um, so I would say like in terms of my perception. My team that I picked hasn't changed, but that series feels very different to me than it did before the first game. So as we let's uh, wrap it up and, and move from perception to um, you know maybe what the odds makers are saying, and just based on on a couple of these uh, these games early, has there been a shift, Jesse, that you've seen in the books in terms of favorites just after one game, or I guess maybe in some cases two games? Yeah. Yeah, like I mentioned, the Avs are the only home team to lose and keep their favorite status. Uh, but when when you look at which one switched the most, I mean, I just mentioned the Rangers. They are the road team. They're the lower seed in this, and they are already minus 200 to win this series. You've got to bet 200 bucks to win 100. Uh, the Devils plus 165. So if you're a Rangers fan or, or sorry, if you're a Devils fan or a Devils or you just you just think the Devils are good and you're listening to this. That's the team right now. If you're, if you're, we, we overreact in the playoffs all the time, right? Like, because every game matters so much, it's like, <laughs> we've, how many times do we do this every postseason where it's like every game, it's like, wow, this is the greatest team ever. This other team sucks. Tampa, Toronto is a perfect example because Toronto will probably smoke them tonight and it'll, it'll swing back the other way. But if you're a believer that the Devils are the better team and they just maybe weren't ready for the big stage on game one, it kind of got to them. Um, the, the, the Rangers had got a, got an early lead and just kind of kicked back. This is the time to bet the devils at plus one sixty five, Um, and, and you're only down one, nothing. I mean, this, we still got six games left in the series. So it's still a lot of hockey to be played. Yeah. And, and, and we should point out when you see those odds shift so much, that's not necessarily a reaction to what happened in the game of, of the odds makers suddenly going, wow, oh, the Rangers are so much better than the devils or gosh, uh, the, you know, the lightning are better than the Leafs now. Um, it's it's just the fact that they've got that one game in the bank, and you know we 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 tend to look at this and just go like you know we're we're trying to find information. What team is better? What have we learned? But just having that one game in the bank really does uh, change everything. But the flip side is obviously 
that team goes out and wins game two. We're right back to even, and and now you're sitting there going, oh, I should have, man, I should have bet on the Oilers. Of course they were going to win game two and even it up, and I could have right. got those better odds. That's the uh, that's the tricky part. The the way I like to look at odds is rather than looking at them to like who do the sports books think is the better team, odds are the best. So betting odds are the best representation of public perception. Yeah. Because that's what the books are doing. They're saying, where are people going to put their money? We want like the, the, the sports books, when they put these odds out, the, their number one priority is, can we get 50% of the bets on each side of this? Because if we do, we win no matter what. They don't want to bet. They don't want to have a result in the game that's better for them. If they can get half the bets on one side and half the bets on the other, they make money no matter what. That's the ideal situation. So these, these odds makers aren't really putting like making these to say this team's better, this team's worse. It's what do people think right now? And like you said, they are reacting to the overreaction of people when one team wins a game. They're like, if we don't make New York minus 200 favorites, everyone that bets on this series is going to pile on the Rangers after that game one win. So we've got to do that in order to get some devil's bets. Um, they're just trying to even it out. Like I said, I, I like it as a gauge of public perception. And, and that's why like the Avs, the Stanley cup, the, the defending champs, they're the only ones that remain the favorites. It makes total sense. Yeah, no, exactly. pick your sport, right? Toronto Maple Leafs, Dallas Cowboys, LA Lakers. The, it's it, the money gets put on them because they're such popular teams, right? It's not, necessarily always reflective of uh, of their actual odds of winning. Jesse, uh, as always, appreciate this. Uh, looking forward to your coverage of this uh, this series. It's going to be a really interesting weekend coming up uh, for the Vegas Golden Knights. So uh, look forward to your coverage of uh, Jets and uh, and Golden Knights, and uh, and we'll hit you up again next week. Yeah, I'm, I've, I've got the late game tonight and then an early flight to Winnipeg. And I got to say, I was just looking at the uh, weather report up in Winnipeg, and I... I mean, I wasn't expecting it to be 90 like it is here in Vegas, but when I saw that it's going to snow four to eight inches on Saturday, I was like, what in the hell am I getting into? Is it snowing where you guys are right now? Like, when does spring start? We're, we're far away from Winnipeg. We got a little bit of snow uh, following up on a heat wave last week, but yeah, uh, man. yeah, Winnipeg, I can't say, but man, are there any more depressing words in the English language than early flight to Winnipeg? You know what? I, hurts, so I've only, man. I think that was, wasn't that a cut on downward spiral? Wasn't that the, uh, <laughs> they took it off because it was just too much of a bummer for the album. I, <laughs> I've only been to Winnipeg one time, well, twice. Um, and it was the two trips up there for the conference finals uh, in Vegas's first year. So I saw peak Winnipeg. I mean, it was, the city was, was just electric during that. Mm. I expect it to be similar. Getting to Winnipeg, not easy. It's not fun. It's not easy. It's difficult. Once you're there, I've got to say, underrated city. I now, We'll see what I say after eight inches of snow this this uh, this trip up there. But for now, I'm sticking with Winnipeg, underrated city, especially during the playoffs. Um, I'm I'm very much looking forward to the whiteout up there and, and all the energy. Uh, I, I had a great time last time. They're, they're taking yeah, the, the whiteout a little too far, it sounds yeah, like. Yeah, exactly. uh, right. inches. There you go. Eight inches of snow is not the whiteout you thought. Hey, and, and before we, we say goodbye, I, I was listening to your... Uh, uh, your pod, uh, the Wednesday pod last week uh, with, with Pizzo and, and Russo. And you guys brought up the fact that Jesse Granger has been to Canada multiple times, Sean, but these guys were trying to lure him. They're like, you got to go eat at Boston pizza. Yep. Now, <laughs> listen, I, I've lived in Canada all my life. Most of my life. I've been to Boston pizza, whatever. 
I I don't put it on the list of like you gotta hit a Boston <laughs> pizza when you come to our country. That's just me. Now I don't know, Sean. Maybe you're different. Yeah, that's that's a weird one. I I would not. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't go there. But but I hope <laughs> you did get Swiss Chalet at least. I mean, that's yeah. You're not, I, I'm if Sean, you're not smuggling would, I mean, a batch of the Swiss Chalet sauce home in your luggage, you're not you're doing it what, wrong. Yeah. I don't even know what that is. What is yeah. Swiss Chalet sauce? It's uh. Uh, Swiss Chalet is a, uh, it's, it's like a chicken Rotisserie place. chicken. Yeah. Rotisserie chicken. And the sauce is, it's it's not a gravy. It's like this tangy sauce. Oh, it's, it's. I see. It's the greatest thing. Yeah. If, if I was going to recommend one Canadian chain restaurant to you, I I think I might go Swiss Chalet as the thing Granger has to have, right? I mean, it'd be, it'd be pretty cool if they heard this and they like hooked us up with, uh, you know, some sort of endorsement deal, like maybe a, <laughs> a keg of sauce uh, that uh, I could just keep on the dining room a table. Tap. like. Yeah, nice. so, I'll, I'll I'll have to look and see if there's one close to, to my hotel in Winnipeg. Yeah, see what you can do there. Yeah, all right. Listen, safe travels, and we'll hit you up on Thursday. All right, thanks for having me, guys. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Don't just ride the index, seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIP. All right, great stuff with uh, Granger, and yeah, you know what? Uh, we are fishing for a Swiss Chalet uh, sponsorship here. Let's be honest, right? Like, yeah, that's all. I mean, that's what I'm hoping for. And it doesn't, you know, it doesn't even have to be the show. If it just they want to send me, like, uh, you know, just uh, I'll, I'll wear the T-shirt around. Well, uh, my rates are very reasonable. It comes to selling out in the eastern part of Canada. There is a great battle that r- rages between. Swiss Chalet, which is one rotisserie chicken mm-hmm. restaurant, and Saint Hubert—that's another. Yeah. Uh, Even here in Ottawa, chicken. man, like you, you get over a so you get to a certain place close enough to Orleans, and you're just suddenly like, I wouldn't, I, I can't wear the t-shirt there, you know. I just, <laughs> I'd suddenly come around the corner, and there'd be, uh, hey, you're you're not from around here, are you? That's uh, that would be bad news. I do like Saint Hubert as well; it's pretty good. Yeah. Exactly. You can like both. It's uh, it's okay. All right. Yeah. So we're going to open up the mailbag here. Uh, reminder, you can reach us at the Athletic Hockey Show at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at any time. Uh, the number there is 845-445-8459. All right. Last week we were talking about, uh, what were, I, don't, I don't even remember how we got on this topic, but we were saying people with unfortunate last mm-hmm. names, right? Or what was, uh, oh, what was there something about was it about a goalie? What was the? Uh, yeah, what was it? Frank McCool. Go- it was Frank it, yeah, McCool. Frank I McCool was like, was the great name, and then it got us to the. Uh, yeah, the you don't so want to have like yep. your your starting goalie. You don't want to be Steve uh, Steve Shaky is our yep. goalie or whatever. Okay, so we did get some responses from people saying, "Here's some other." Uh, Tim in Cabbage Town writes in, and now Cabbage Town—that's the the district near Toronto. Am I right on that? I I 
Yeah, or, uh, it right? should be. I mean, I'm, it's like a neighborhood in Toronto. Is there like a it, real cabbage town somewhere? That that's what I'm wondering. Okay. Or like, it, that's not a nickname. That's not like slang for some, like, some other city or something, right? Like Cleveland I, is cabbage town. I don't think. Right? You know what? It is now. Congratulations, is. Cleveland. Yeah, you've done it. Yeah, cabbage town. <laughs> Never anyway, grown Tim a cabbage, and- but you, it's yours. <laughs> Yeah, uh, Tim writes in, uh, love the show, guys. Keep up the great work. Maybe the funniest goalie name of all time should be Kari Lettinen. Say his name out loud a couple of times and you'll understand why. Yep. Kari Lettinen. Lettinen, yeah, uh, that works. Lettinen. I like that one. Yeah. Yep. Now, did we get, somebody tweeted a great one at us, right, last week? The, the best one I saw was uh, people were going outside the sport and and the the great one was that there is currently an NFL kicker uh, named Chris Blewett. Yeah, Chris Which Blewett. Is, yeah, I mean that's that's fantastic. That's uh, you know you can't uh, and, and it's like spelt like B L U or B L E W I T. Like there might be an yeah. extra T on the end, but it's not even a pronunciation thing. It's just yeah, Chris yeah. Chris Blewett. There you go, Chris Blewett. Yep. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I, I was also thinking about this today is uh, April twentieth, four twenty. Is there a better name on this date in hockey history than Clayton Stoner? Yeah, can you top? That's... Can you top Clayton Stoner for for that particular for this particular yeah, for 420? day? Yeah, No, I think it's. Is there uh, any other? I think it's. I think it's got to be him. Yeah, I'm. I'm going through in my mind, but uh, yeah, I, that's. I. I don't know that we're going to top him. No, there's no nobody else has like a blaze or a smoke or a, a weed or a pot in their name, right? Not Tom that I can Potty? remember. No, Tom, I mean Tom. Po- Was it Tom Potty or Tom Pody? Yeah, that would... yeah, it was Pody. Yeah, that's, that's right. Okay. It was, yeah, so we didn't have not. him. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, that's uh, you. I mean, you're opening up the pun names. That that, yeah. that turns into all. You know, that's an off season episode. It'll just be fifty five minutes of you and I just naming guys and then giggling to ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> Ron <Exactly>. Tugnut. <laughs> just we should do on it. to the next guy. It'll be our highest yeah. rated episode ever. Yeah, we're gonna do a specific show just targeted at middle school uh, That's right. kids, like just yep. for that line of humor. There you yeah, go. It'll be our best show. Uh, Philip writes in via email. Uh, I got a question for you guys about the bigger implications of the Connor Bedard lottery, specifically as it pertains to the balance of power in international hockey. Prior to the 1988 Wayne Gretzky trade, I think you could argue LA was dead last in attendance. Wasn't another NHL franchise that was sort of in the West Coast. U.S. hockey-born players all came from the Northeast to the Midwest. Um, But now you're seeing players born and developed in non-traditional markets. Shout out to Scottsdale's own Red Savage on the 2023 uh, World Junior Team. So here's my question for you guys. Anaheim has the best odds of landing Connor Bedard and... There's an almost 50% chance, if you add it up, that Bedard will end up in either Anaheim, San Jose, or Columbus. My question to you is, if Connor Bedard lands in one of those non-traditional U.S. markets, um, does he have the, the star power that kind of can create that additional interest in the youth programs in those regions? And how will this maybe affect international play down the road? Is Canada's dominance in the sport all at risk if Connor Bedard ends up in one of these places that comes in from Philip. Interesting question. It's an interesting way to, to think about it. I, I mean, the Gretzky situation was a perfect storm of, you know, as, as he describes it, you know, the fact that it was, it was just the one team, there was really nothing else around there. Um, and also the fact that Gretzky was 
arguably the only hockey player who's ever like really transcended the NHL and become just a a a worldwide and certainly North American wide megastar. Um, you know, the the fact that Wayne Gretzky hosted Saturday Night Live. I mean, imagine you know, imagine Connor McDavid getting invited to to go on Saturday Night Live or Sidney Crosby. Like it would it would never happen. Um, that's how big a star Gretzky was. So I don't think anything we'll see anything comparable um, in in our lifetimes. That said, hey, it, it it could absolutely help if he goes down there to California. California is already you know, producing hockey players. They've they've got systems there, and and obviously they've had success with the Kings with the two cups. But yeah, every little bit could help. I, I don't think it necessarily shifts the balance of power. I don't think twenty years from now we're looking back on like. Oh, it's the Connor Bedard generation is coming up and winning gold medals for the U.S. Um, but yeah, it'll it'll be it'll be a big deal to whatever market gets him, especially if it's a market that um, either is is you know what you would call non traditional or just hasn't had that success. Um, uh, you know, like a Columbus. Uh, I mean, this this lottery is going to be huge. It's it's absolutely uh, you know future determining for for a lot of franchises, depending on how those ping pong balls bounce around. Yeah. Uh, David in Chicago writes in, hello, Eminem boys. Uh, not sure if you're made aware of the recent interview on NPR, National Public Radio, uh, that occurred recently with our good friend Gary Bettman. What are your guys' thoughts on his comments? Uh, to me, it sounds like Gary is doing the usual, how smart of a lawyer can I sound like, while also showing an incredible lack of leadership on matters involving diversity in the game and issues involving the LGBTQ plus community. As a Hispanic guy from the United States, hearing this from Gary really highlights why this game is not trying to appeal to people like me, despite the mantra of hockey is for everyone. P.S. I'm also an attorney. Gary is not as smart as he thinks. Uh, love you guys. Keep up the good work. Comes in from David in Chicago. So uh, Gary Bettman does the interview with uh, NPR, Sean, and uh, it certainly gained a lot of traction in which uh, he is once again sort of denying the uh, the link that exists between CTE and uh, playing hockey. Now, I, I think part of the reason why he's doing that, look, there's an outstanding lawsuit going on right now, correct? Um, they, yeah, regarding I mean, the, big, the big class action one was was dealt with, but uh, you know, I'm sure the, the lawyer in him knows that he, he doesn't want to say anything that's going to open a can of worms. Exactly. So I, I understand that he's going to go into these conversations uh, basically in, in full lawyer speak, right? Like mm -hmm. full lawyer speak. Uh, but but look, the NFL, and I think it was in either 20, uh, 2016, I believe, the NFL finally admitted that, yes, there is a, a link between, you know, repeated head trauma that is caused in our sport and, uh, and, and the development of CTE. The NHL has been reluctant to say that. And in this interview with the NPR, Gary Bettman was like, hey, you're trying to put hockey on the same level as football and it's completely different. So I I don't know where this goes, but but this interview that he did with NPR is certainly uh, seemingly drawing the ire of a lot of people, right? Yeah. It, I mean, it was it's it was a frustrating listen um, on, on a number of topics. Uh, it was also a pretty typical Gary Bettman interview. Uh, we're we're kind of used to the style by now. He he does you know it is it is that kind of lawyer speak. He is he's a very very smart guy um, who who maybe sometimes thinks he's he he thinks that he's the smartest guy in the room and he's probably right most of the time. Um, maybe thinks he's a little bit smarter than he is. Uh, sometimes the answers get a little too cute 
a little too clever. Um, but also, yeah, I mean, there, there's certain times where he's just going to get up and say things that, hey, we know are not necessarily true. He probably knows aren't true, but he's he's doing his job to to say them. And, uh, I, you know, I think the the listener nailed it. I mean, it's it's, uh, you know, that that sort of lawyer speak uh, when you would like to hear more. You know, something that sounded more like a hockey fan, something that sounded more like a leader. We don't get a lot of leadership yeah. uh, out of this. And, you know, I've talked about that in various ways on various topics for decades now when it comes to Gary Bettman that, uh, you know, there, there are times where you'd like to see him lead. And instead, he just seems to, you know, kind of get behind the crowd and then and then justify as he goes. Um, it, I, I will give him credit for doing the interview in the sense that, you know, sometimes he 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 doesn't put himself in situations where the questioning is going to be um, the, touching on topics that he doesn't like talking about. He did that this time. Um, but yeah, like I said, it was, it was a frustrating listen as a hockey fan. Uh, Patrick, uh, one more email here. I'll read from Patrick who says, uh, Hey guys, listen to your episode a few weeks ago. You were talking about how people become fans of certain teams. I thought you missed an important point here. And that is the perspective of fans outside of North America. Uh, personally, I'm from Denmark. Uh, I have family in the New York area, but I ended up a San Jose fan, mostly because I like their logo and I seem to play well with them in NHL 06 on my Wii. My friend ended up a Red Wings fan because they had a lot of Swedes on their team at the time. We don't become Leafs fans or Canadians fans because in a European's eyes, a Maple Leaf or a weird version of a CH makes no sense to us. However, a shark biting a hockey stick? It's cool. Side note, the Sharks turned out to be a horrible pick for me because the time difference means they play at 4.30 a.m. local time. And once you're not in your early 20s anymore, it's not usually the best time to wake up or be awake on a weekday. But if you're lucky, maybe they're still playing when you wake up at 6.30. Anyway, just a different perspective. Thanks for a great show. That's from Patrick in Denmark. Yeah, that's a fair perspective to remember. That would actually be kind of cool. Eh? You wake up and you just flip on the TV and catch the third period of your your team's game as you're getting ready for work. That's that's not too bad. Yeah, it's it's amazing how many fans will tell you that you know, hey, what got you into the game? Was it was it Wayne Gretzky? Was it Mario? Was it you know all the and they'll tell you it was it was the video games. That that NHL so series, many times. Yeah. Plus you know some of the other ones you you don't really get the alternatives anymore, but the you know the hits and the, some of the other stuff out there that that gets a lot of fans um interested because it starts off as this fun video game and totally. then it's like oh i'll watch the tv show that this game was based on and you find out yeah oh you're right i know that guy that's the uh that's the character from my video game oh this guy's actually pretty good i kind of like this sport oh man if you could pick an ideal time that your favorite sports team i, I mean in this case for you the maple leafs you could pick a perfect time that every time that they were playing it was like at that particular time what like what time are you going with? Boy, like hey, I'm as I'm getting older, that time's getting earlier and earlier. Yeah, like I even even the, the these seven thirty playoff starts. I'm like, oh come <laughs> on, man! I gotta be engaged past ten o'clock. What do you want from me? Um, yeah, I, I, the earlier the better. By the way, every fan of every West Coast team that I've ever written about right now is like, there it is. I knew there it. it is. I, I knew, knew it. he yeah. went to bed at nine thirty every night. We got yeah. him. We got him, everyone. We got him. The nine, uh, yeah, the games that start at 9.30 or 10 o'clock local time. I would love it, uh, and I think they do this in Europe, but like a, a game that starts at 6 o'clock local time would be amazing. Be amazing. Yeah. Like, 
You, right, you, you, a lot of people are done work at 5, 5.30. It's great to watch. To it kind of depends, yeah. like, you know, if you're going to try to get there, you know, oh, I don't have time to eat dinner before I get to the game. I don't, I mean, geez, here in Ottawa, it's, uh, I don't know, if an hour to get from downtown to the rink is enough. Yeah. But, um, and then obviously there are fans in, uh, especially if you're in that central time zone, you sort of feel like, oh, yeah, we got to start at 6 half the time and the other times we're starting at yeah. 9 so that because we're the West Coast game and it's it's just a mess. Um yeah, it's sort of sort of all over the map. All right, let's wrap up with a little this week in hockey history and uh, we go back uh, we got a couple of dates here I'm going to run by you here. The first is April 20th, 1997. Sean, on this date in 1997, Craig McTavish then with the St. Louis Blues played his final game in the NHL marking the final time a player without a helmet suited up in the NHL. You know what I th- I thought was it's it's and it's important to note this for for fans, but they basically made a rule in 1979, yep. right? Mm-hmm. That everybody had to wear a helmet moving forward. Now, if you started your career before 1979-80 and you'd played in the NHL, you were allowed to continue helmetless. But if you joined the NHL at any point after that 1979-80 season, you had to wear a helmet, which you know what? And I know we were just talking about the CTE stuff, but um, it does seem incredibly, I don't know, like there, there's, there's a bit of foresight there, right? Maybe? I don't know. <laughs> or not. It's, Maybe it's, not. It's very foresight, right? I mean, the fact yeah. that it's 18 years. And doesn't that just sound so bizarre right now? I mean, 1997 isn't that long ago? I mean, you know, 20, especially. 25, 26 years, though. But somebody playing hockey without a helmet. I mean, that's <laughs> it, 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 it. Yeah. That's that would be like finding out that like it was only in 1997 that cars had to have seatbelts. Like you're just you're like to anybody now who's yeah. you know you're looking at it going this is crazy and it makes you wonder like what is it going to be 20 years from now right and you know obviously the, the as soon as you talk about the helmets people will say like well who's going to be the last guy without a visor and and what is that going to look like when you know 10 years from now you're going you know when Jamie Ben or Ryan O'Reilly or whoever it is is retiring as the last guy without a visor and then. You'll have a whole generation of fans going, why would you not have protected your eyes? And um, I don't know, the game evolves. But uh, yeah, it was always, uh, e- even by then, even by the late 90s, it was always weird when you'd see McTavish out there. And, you know, you'd be like, oh, right, that I forgot about that guy. Do you remember the very, very brief uh, time under Gil Stein when they they revoked that helmet rule? And they made it so that they they put it back to the players that you had the option to go without a helmet? What? I this I don't remember this. Was this. Early nineties. It was Gil Stein, I, I'm pretty sure. And it was it was a marketing thing. It was the this idea that it's hard to market players when they all look the same out there because they're all wearing helmets and versus the NBA where <laughs> I, the I don't have are any all, recollection. Well, here's why you don't have any recollection. It, basically they changed the rule and said it's now optional again. If you, if you don't want to wear a helmet, you don't have to wear one. And nobody nobody took it off. One guy, Greg Smith. Smith or Smythe, he was a tough guy. I think back then, Florida, he, he played for a few teams. Took it off for a little while, um, but nobody else did. And and he he it was short term, and he put it back on. But it's uh, it, it's one of those forgotten things, one of those Gilstein like suspensions where you didn't miss any games <laughs> and and that sort of thing. He yeah. uh, he had all these uh, these interesting ideas, I guess. Um, and uh, yeah, that was uh, that was it. A few players took him off during the All Star game. I think Brett Hull maybe was one of them where he didn't wear a helmet during the All-Star game because there's no contact anyways. But um, there was a brief window. So if you ever really want to win a bar bet and you 
you know, ask when did the NHL permanently make helmets mandatory? And, you know, somebody will say, well, 79. No, it was actually early 90s because they there was a brief window where they brought it back. Man. And you're talking about like, uh, you know, imagine telling somebody that that like when did they make seatbelts? Mandatory, like not, around that same time, McTavish played his last game in the NHL '97. Remember, there was a great debate going, uh, and where we lived in Ottawa at the time, uh, about whether or not. Remember, they 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 just in Ontario that was the year they started banning smoking in restaurants, yes. mm-hmm. and there was this great debate. My goodness, you're going to kill the restaurant industry. Yeah, mm-hmm. remember? Oh, I remember. Like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Crazy. And, and, and now, like six years you ago, just, I mean, yeah, you you have somebody now and they go, wow, what are you, what are you talking about? I don't get to, because you go into these little tiny bars and where's the non-smoking section? It's right there. You're sitting next to somebody who's smoking yeah. like through an entire pack, like right next to you and you're, but this is the non-smoking. There's a little barrier here. Yeah. I mean, it, it takes time. I think you know, we're, we'll get there with Pfizer's. My prediction is you know, 20 years from now, we're going to look back at the uh, cut protection the same way. There'll, there'll be guy. there will be, everyone will have the protective socks They'll probably have something on the wrist, maybe even on the neck, and we'll look back and go, you guys were playing a game where everyone had razor-sharp blades on their feet and you weren't wearing cut protection? Are you nuts? And and hopefully, I really hope that we get there just through the natural yeah. evolution and not through something awful happening uh, that, no. that forces it. Okay, one other this, uh, this week in hockey history. We're going to take our listeners back to the same week, April 21st, but in 2008. The Montreal Canadiens defeat the Boston Bruins 5-0 in the Game 7. And in the process, Andre and Sergei Kostitsin each scored a goal in that game, Sean becoming the first brothers to score a goal in the same Game 7. Now, if I had said to you on a random trivia question, name the first pair of brothers in NHL history to each score a goal in a Game 7, how long would it have taken you to get to the Kostitsin boys? It, it would have taken a long time. I would have been going through <laughs> yeah. all the different combinations of Sutters, which, I mean, that on its own would take a while. I, I would Stastny have gotten, would be my Stastny's first guess, Stastny's would have nope. been absolutely yeah. there. It, it would have taken Sedin's. me a long time to uh, to get there. Yeah, I mean, they, they, we've had some, some real good family, uh, um, but, uh, boy, that... That would not have been been there. The Sedins, the the stalls, the all on down the list. But yep, uh, I guess that's that's when you know a game seven is not going well for you when both those guys are are putting it in. The Castitsen boys do it. All right, uh, that does it. Listen, good luck. And I know this is going to sound very facetious, mm-hmm. uh, but good luck to the Maple. Oh, I don't yes. like seeing friends suffer. I Thanks, don't. Senators uh, guy. I'm I'm sure yeah. that that's you're you're really Thanks. speaking for the entire fan base when you wish us the best. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Thanks, I, I lifelong Dallas Cowboys fan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Listen, I understand your pain. But anyway, well, I'm excited to do the show next week because Lord only knows. Maybe the Leafs are ahead in the series. Maybe heck, Is there a scenario where they could have won the series by then? I don't think so because yeah, they're... Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Because it does, isn't game there a five two, is Wednesday, no? I thought there's there, a gap at some point. There's an extra day. I think they oh, okay. may go back so maybe Thursday next week. But okay. We'll see. Never we'll say see. never. Four games will be done. Uh, anyway, yeah, never say never. All right, we'll leave it there. I want to thank everybody uh, for listening to the Thursday edition of the pod. As always, you can email us any question at the Athletic Hockey Show at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 845-445-8459. Right now, a terrific deal to get a one-year subscription to The Athletic for $2 a month for 12 months. You visit theathletic.com slash hockey show.